Welcome to the Center of Everywhere podcast, where we explore stories of rural Minnesotans who are making a difference in their communities. Rural isn't in the middle of nowhere. It is in the center of everywhere. Hi, I'm Whitney Oaks, Research Associate at the Center for Rural Policy and Development. This week on the Center of Everywhere, hear Kelly Ash interview two University of Minnesota Extension researchers on their new report about telecommuting, a particularly relevant topic in the age of COVID-19. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the show. Neil, Shinyi, thanks for taking the time to uh, chat with me today about some more research you guys have coming out here relatively soon. Uh, in the next couple of weeks, it's uh, on a topic that I think a lot of folks are talking about and more in anecdotes uh, and not necessarily based on data quite yet. So I'm excited to hear about some of this work. Um, and I don't know who wants to start. I, I really, if one of you could just kind of provide like a real quick summary, not of the results, but what this research is about and who and why and all of that, that noise. So I don't know, Shinyi sure. or Neil? Yeah, I think I can do that. All right. Well, this research is about understanding telecommuting and understanding how telecommuting changed during the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, we, Shingy and I responded to a, a notice of research solicitation, you know, that the Minnesota Department of Transportation was interested in research on this topic. And so we, we inquired about that. We put together a proposal and we really said, hey, we think it would be helpful to know from employers about the policy changes that they had been making, about the prevalence of telecommuting, about um, what their prediction for the future of telecommuting with their employees would be. And it would also be helpful to hear from workers about those same kinds of topics. What are, how, one of the things we wanted to know about the policies was just like, if our, our, I guess our expectation was, if the policies are changing, that might signal something for the future. And we would be really interested in that. And if they're not changing, we wanted to know, uh, you know, will, will things go back to normal? We have to roll back the clock a year. It's 2022 now. So this was taking place in 2021. And we have to think like, well, we were still in this huge uncertainty. Maybe we are today, but there was like, what is going to happen? When will we go back? Will we go back? How will we? go back? Will some people go back or not? And it was, it was a big mix of, of all of this going on. I think we'd asked the folks from MnDOT just recently that, that uh, were sponsors of this, what their motivations were, and they were seeing the same thing and, and said, hey, in our organization, we saw this happening. We saw uh, telecommuting, we saw it changing internally, but we were also very curious, what, is there any information we can get to tell us about future traffic demand and how this will impact our transportation system? So, uh, like I said, we submitted this, this project and we were successful in receiving funding from the Minnesota Department of Transportation to conduct focus groups and also conduct online surveys of both workers and employers across Minnesota. And we paid special attention to make sure that we 
uh, could get enough of a sample from greater Minnesota to see some of the differences uh, across geography as well. So online survey, essentially, uh, I'm assuming method, uh, the, method or <laughs> the methodology was sending them a letter saying, hey, this, there's a survey out. Would you be willing, was it, did you take a sample of employers across the state or did you send it out to as many people as possible and just hope you got a good sample or how did you do that? Sure, yeah. So I would say uh, for the, uh, the employer survey, we had a uh, so-called sampling plan that you and I working together with the technical assistance panel the project champion and a coordinator at uh, the Minnesota Department of Transportation. So we worked with these folks to develop the sampling plan. And then we implemented the sampling plan as well as we uh, possibly can in order for us to reach as many uh, entities, employers as possible. So this is very much, I call it a grassroots uh, snowballing process that we are trying to reach out to um, all different types of employers. As long as you have an operation in Minnesota, you qualify. Uh, and for the uh, worker survey, we, it, it was a two-prong approach. We first also did this grassroots snowballing process. So we had been very busy for uh, you know, quite a few weeks trying to roll out, spread the word about both surveys. Um, but also for the worker survey, we wrote into the budget, uh, having the resources to purchase an online panel from Quotrics. So Quotrics is, you can say it is a competitor of SurveyMonkey uh, and the university uh, uses Quotrics full suite of services. And so um, it was, uh, you know, uh, competitive pricing and a fairly responsive service. And we um, uh, gave Quotrix a very clear cut requirements in terms of uh, you know, geographic coverage, uh, race, race and ethnicity. And we also want uh, the respondents to be adults, obviously, and also folks who uh, have been working at least half time since March, 2020. So um, this is how we uh, went about you know, generating a sample for both surveys. I'm curious. So there's two surveys. You got the employer survey and the employee survey or worker survey, right? Um, what uh, the employer survey makes sense. The worker survey was that meant to gather more information about the organization they work in? Or was that survey meant to kind of talk about some of the changes they've had in their own lives as a worker uh, with telecommuting? Yes, so that's a very good question. As you can imagine, the employer survey got to also be answered by an individual, right? So whoever answered the employer survey answered it in a capacity as sort of like a, a representative of the entity that the person was working for at the time of completing the survey. And the worker survey really uh, asked questions targeted towards the worker's um, individual experience of telecommuting uh, before, during, and potentially post-pandemic. I say potentially because no one can really predict the future. It would be based on their best informed um, 
estimates or whatever information their uh, employers had shared with them up until that point. And so you would see questions in the uh, um, both the surveys that that are uh, the same. They are identical. And then you and I did it on purpose. And I and and we would argue that's where uh, our innovation is. That is, we managed to compare uh, employers and uh, workers' responses to the same questions and see where uh, things turn out to be consistent and where we see you know some different uh, response patterns. Yeah, I'm really curious to hear what. Uh... Any kind of things that you feel like, yeah, this makes sense, not so surprising, and what things did you find that you're like, wow, this is this is kind of surprising? Uh, yes, I would have at least a couple of things uh, that I can share with you. Uh, first off, uh, we asked a question about uh, availability of telecommuting policy before uh, the pandemic. Again, before for the pandemic. And uh, we had a greater percentage of a worker survey respondents uh, who said that, well, formal policy or tailored agreements with individual uh, employees had been available before the pandemic. So more workers indicating that. Uh, and we also asked the same question about expectation of employee performance during the pandemic, at the height of telecommuting, if you will. Interestingly, uh, we had 69% uh, of uh, employer survey respondents saying that there was no change in expectation of employee performance during the pandemic, and only 44.6% uh, of worker survey respondents said the same thing, like no change. We had more uh, workers who said that the expectation was more results driven. We also had more uh, worker survey respondents saying that the expectation was higher. And one last one, uh, perceived employee productivity while telecommuting during COVID-19. And we again uh, had significantly more uh, employer survey respondents saying that, well, the productivity was about the same <laughs> and, and a lower percentage of workers of respondents who said the productivity was about the same. So now you're holding focus groups. I'm curious, what, what are those focus groups in those interviews kind of telling you about those differences? That in, in particular, I'm curious about the, uh, the productivity and the expectation pieces, because mm -hmm. that's something we hear a lot about, um, I think, now that you know COVID is hopefully kind of drawing to uh, its final gasp here, uh, and this idea of all right, are we going to be expected to go back into our office? Are we going to expect our workforce to go back to normal, or are things going to stay kind of more towards telecommuting as an option? And I'm assuming some of the factors into that is if the employer feels like I can get just as much productivity out of my workers whether telecommuting or in the office. So the devil's in the details there a little bit. I'm curious, what, you know, what did you guys find in some of those themes? Sure, maybe I'll, I'll give you a, just some insight into those focus groups. So we had um, six focus groups. That, they last, these conversations lasted about an hour. And inside those groups, we had people that were geographically distributed across the state. 
We had people that were large employers, sometimes small employers. And we also had people that even before we had recruited them, we had a mix of folks that had already been telecommuting with their business, had had formal policies, those that had just started and those that really, you know, were kind of playing it day to day. And what you would hear in those focus groups, things that, that came up in these themes were just, um, you know, some folks that had 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 been doing telecommuting a long time and were comfortable with it were saying, it's fine. What's the big deal? What, why are you so worried about this? Trust your people. And I can remember kind of vividly one of the discussions that we had that really was about this, was about, oh, uh, our CEO wants everyone back in so that, um, you know, so that the CEO can see people working. And there was some tension around that kind of question to say, well, what do you mean? You know, hire people you trust, hire, hire people that, uh, you know, that this is going to work for. And we would also hear things about um, productivity and um, just how difficult it is to sort of measure and understand productivity all the time and, you know, how, how challenging it can also be when, when you have distance and things like that. Other things that came up included, oh, ideas like um, recruiting the opportunities for employers, you know, it's not just a cost to go telecommuting, but there were also new opportunities that maybe came up to recruit people from a larger geography. If you're in Minnesota, maybe you're recruiting someone several states over to, to work for you. Uh, but also uh, the flip side of that might be that, or your people that can telecommute are being recruited from several states over. And it's a, a, a back and forth on things like that. Um, so those sorts of uh, comments, those sorts of the different variations of how could a telecommuting policy be structured? What would, it's like hybrid or is it you're all, you commute everywhere. Do you, did you give everyone computers? Did they, how do you keep engaged with people? How do you say, understand what they're, you know, um, how they're feeling engaged in their work and feeling connected to each other. How do you do all those things? That's the kind of things that we were talking about. And the things that we heard there in those focus groups, they helped us create a better survey. They helped us make sure that we were asking questions that really did fit how the policy might look in real life. And we made several modifications from what we initially thought because there was more variation. There was more interesting uh, ways that people in, in companies are approaching telecommuting than maybe one might think just right after the beginning. So what were some of the main themes that you guys caught um, regarding some of those policy changes that organizations had to make? What were some of the bigger, more maybe more challenging changes that need to be, needed to be made from an organizational standpoint? Uh, so for telecommuting related policies uh, for the future, future being defined mostly as, you know, post a pandemic, um, there, there really is a wide range. Um, for example, uh, we can go down to the level of looking at individual employees, right? And it could be um, mostly telecommuting mostly in the office or a so-called hybrid schedule that would be somewhere in between the two ends. 
And it could also be uh, team-based. For example, um, team A would be in the office these two days and team B would be in the office those other two days. And they may or may not overlap on a fifth day together so that we can get everybody in the office at the same time for at least one day a week or even one day a month. And I think that has come up uh, quite frequently, that is, uh, we still would like folks to come together in person so that we maintain uh, the social slash personal side of, uh, you know, uh, coming to work and um, also to build, still maintain and build a professional networks, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, so that is one big theme in terms of um, uh, scheduling. And we have also heard uh, flexibility you know, some folks may start early and leave early. Some folks will start late and leave later. Um, and the other thing that we have heard is um, tailored approach uh, to be determined position by position according to uh, the position's nature of work and also the um, uh, particular employee's uh, situation, life circumstances. Uh, and at the time that we did the focus groups, it was in spring 2021. And so it was right around when the vaccine was rolled out, uh, you know, at the massive scale. And we heard uh, focus group participants talking about the need to gradually uh, transition employees back into the office. It's not, it's not like uh, switching, uh, uh, flip a switch so that, uh, yes, you are home today. And guess what? You are coming back, all of you at the same time tomorrow. People, re employers realize it is important to have a transition uh, process. So that touch is very much appreciated, I, I think. And um, I would let Neil add uh, whatever I'm missing here. Anything else, Neil? I'm just looking through to make to make sure. Yeah, look through your results. About the opportunities and the, um, yeah, the challenges. I mean, ob obviously there's, um, there were some people would talk about some of the work-life challenges and how uh, it's a, it's a challenging time, a pandemic, right? It's like, it's, it's stressful. It's, uh, it's difficult. There's constantly changing priorities, maybe in a person's life, um, from hour to hour and, you know, one hour, maybe, uh, you're trying to manage your household, another hour you're trying to make sure you can get your work done. Um, and I, I think we were hearing um, people describe how um, how their companies were adapting to those those challenges and finding the most important things that they needed to, to highlight. Like um, when you're at work, you're at work. You know, when you're when you're here and here, you need to be engaged. So um, how important it is to have your camera on, how important it is to be a part of what's happening and have your full attention. And if you're just like if you were um, at the office, you know, and you had to take care of something at home, maybe you would be that would be considered time off for you. Um, and if you're doing the same in uh, in your working from home. Um, you should be treating it that the same way. That's the kind of things, kind of flavor of the discussion that people were having. And so we were 
I think we were hearing people talk about this in real time as their companies and themselves, and maybe as, you know, we had several HR professionals, um, you know, as they're navigating this and, and there's a little bit of um, change it as, as reality changes that's happening at the same time. Yeah, and I would say a lot of uh, these aspects or say issues are uh, double-edged. Um, what, what does that mean? So take uh, flexibility as an example. Um, it is very clear from the focus groups that uh, these participants identified the flexibility as the biggest opportunity with uh, telecommuting going forward. But at the same time, there is also a challenge with a flexibility, which is from the organization's standpoint, what's the core work hours? I still remember one participant saying specifically, we had to tell employees that 10 to three would be your core hours. Everybody is expected to show up. Uh, and uh, also for uh, individual employees, at least some of them, uh, the flexibility also meant the blurring of work-life boundaries. Um, and so, yes, you are physically sitting at home, uh, but you are checking your work emails all the time. You are taking care of urgent may not be huge, but still urgent work matters close to all the time. So that blurring of the boundary can be challenging for uh, these employees. And another good example is talent pool, right? So we would say, oh, uh, uh, close to full-time telecommuting or full telecommuting means that we would be able to recruit, find a talent from several states over. However, we already had a few focus group participants pointing out that well, if you hire from another state, it could be quite complicated tax and regulation implications for you as an employer, right? So um, yeah, it, it is a very nuanced issue and you and I are very grateful that we included the focus groups as you know one of the first steps in the project so that we really have uh, both the surveys uh, in terms of their design, very well informed by the folks who had been and were in the thick of it. I know you guys shared your abstract with me, which uh, I really appreciate. And uh, reading through it, and I know the results aren't fully uh, completed yet, but one of the things or the, that I was really interested in was looking at the differences based on geography. Um, obviously, at Center for Rural Policy, we do a lot of that kind of work looking at differences, depending on how rural or how urban an area might be. And one of the things that struck me is that you seem to have some interesting differences here. Uh, I'll read off on a worker survey, greater Minnesota respondents are more likely to telecommute no more than one day a week um, post pandemic, while Twin Cities respondents are more likely to telecommute two to three days a week. Um, do you have any idea as to why that there's such a difference there? Well, uh, before going into, uh, say, implications of uh, these findings, uh, I also wanted to add that uh, the percentage of uh, uh, respondents to the survey who would telecommute four to five days a week, they actually, those two percentage points are close to identical. We had a 39.7% in greater Minnesota and a 38.2% in Twin Cities 
who foresee that they would telecommute four to five days a week. And so I feel, Neil and I feel like it is very uh, uh, nuanced findings. I mean, it is statistically significant, but I wouldn't call it like stark or huge. Um, and, 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 and also uh, this is, you know, uh, forecast, if you will, of post pandemic. And we also asked about their telecommuting experiences uh, during the, uh, the pandemic. And we asked about how many hours a week on average uh, had, have you been able to telecommute? And, you know, the average was 23 and a half among Twin Cities residents and 26 among greater Minnesota residents. And, and so if we use the number of weekly hours telecommuting as a measure of who gets to telecommute, then at least during the pandemic, greater Minnesota residents had, our, had it a little bit better than the Twin Cities residents. And uh, something else I wanted to point out is that we didn't, we did not uh, look at if uh, Twin Cities and the greater Minnesota respondents worked in vastly different industries or not. And we also didn't compare uh, their age by geographic area. And we know that uh, industry and age could be um, quite significant factors uh, to cause some change in telecommuting uh, feasibility and, and the behavior. So I'll stop here and let Neil add um, whatever he has on his mind. Well, and I, I think that's a good point, Shingy, that um, we, we've looked at sort of a very early set of things that we can look at. And, you know, we might look at those things in the future. We have a, a great data set that might, might allow us to answer some of those questions. But for now, um, we, it's not exactly clear why, why there are some of those differences, what the underlying mechanism that's causing that might be. Okay. Well, then let's talk a little bit about some of the other differences. Like, well, you know, you kind of got down to geography. You looked at age of the employees. Um, I imagine running some cross tabs on the size of the organization. Were there anything that kind of pops to the top as far as what type of attribute or characteristic um, of the survey respondent meant that they were more likely to telecommute moving forward, even post pandemic? What were some of the main themes there? Uh, I'll start with one, uh, which is age, uh, or say, I should say generation. So uh, we ask about post pandemic telecommuting uh, possibility and a frequency. So uh, what really stood out is about Generation Z, the Gen Z, which are the youngest workers among us. Uh, we had almost 60% of Gen Z respondents who indicated that they would telecommute no more than one day a week. Uh, it is that percentage point is more than two times um, as big as all the older generations. So millennials, Gen Xers, baby boomers and older, right? Uh, and Gen Xers were the most likely to telecommute two to three days a week, followed very closely by millennials. Meanwhile, baby boomers and, and, and the oldest respondents, this uh, generation was a cohort. They are the most likely to telecommute four to five days a week, which means that um, at least 
these findings could be contrary to uh, some of the popular perception regarding Gen, Gen Z folks. For example, they are digital natives who would want to telecommute all the time, right? But we didn't find that. Um, and our contemplation is that Gen Z's being the youngest, uh, they just started their career. Uh, so they are less likely to hold positions that would allow them to have complete autonomy to decide where and how they would work. And uh, because they just started their career, uh, it is important to build uh, one's professional networks. It is also important for one to be mentored. And we would argue that both uh, would be better facilitated by more frequent in-person work. And so um, I would stop here uh, regarding generational difference and see if Neil has anything to add. Yeah, I think there, there was some other interesting information on, we asked people, uh, workers, their likelihood of moving or relocating if they were able to telecommute full-time. And we saw that um, about 12% said they were highly likely, 15% somewhat likely, um, and 20% right in the middle there was not sure. But there was 20% of people at the other side of that saying it's highly like unlikely that um, I would move or relocate if I were able to telecommute full time. And then there was another question that focused on, uh, where worker survey respondents would relocate to among those that said they, they were likely of moving or relocating. And so some people, 26% uh, said that they would move to a suburb of the Twin Cities, 25% uh, to Minneapolis or St. Paul proper, 20% um, said they'd move, or 21%, almost 22% said they'd move outside. And then 14% um, and almost 13% said that they would either move to a rural area or a small city uh, like, um, like a Duluth or, or Rochester. So um, I just, I think that that topic has come up in the, the podcast before about people's mobility and, and how uh, telecommuting relates to that. And hey, um, I guess if we said moving outside of the Metro, that's um, almost 25% of the, the people that would, would move to either a, a larger regional center or to a rural area if, if they had the opportunity to telecommute and they would maybe relocate. So that's interesting. Again, it's not always, that's their perception. You know, whether they do it or not, maybe a different story, but at least there's this interest in that. Right, it, you're absolutely right that there is this kind of conversation happening about how does this shift impact rural areas? What does this mean for rural community and economic developers? And I know I shared this article with you guys and it's one that's kind of been making the rounds. It was a Newsweek um, and it was an opinion piece written by Skylar Baker Jordan. Uh, and the title of the piece is Work From Home Isn't Just For Elites. It's the revolution rural America needs. Pretty hyperbolic statement, um, you know, take from it what you will, but it does resonate a little bit, I think, with a lot of rural community and economic developers in this idea of like, is this our time? Is this our moment to really beef up our people recruitment uh, activities and get people here? And um, I, I guess 
from the research that you guys have done and the results that you're seeing, what would you tell uh, some the rural community and economic developers, particularly ones that are in that kind of people recruitment um, uh, section of community and economic development strategies? What, you know, what would you tell them? Is it is it something that's real? Is it something that they could take advantage of, or is it just too nuanced to really know? Uh, I think it is very, very nuanced. I understand that you and I, up until now, have already thrown out lots and lots of numbers, right? And, and some are not as, uh, how can I put this, simplified as it may sound like uh, on the surface. So the little calculation that I did um, is that took folks uh, who, who said they could telecommute four to five days a week. So that's full or close to full-time telecommuting. And that percentage of folks, and I also took the percentage of those who uh, you know, have any likelihood uh, of, of relocating. And then Neil uh, provided the percentage point of uh, people who would relocate to rural area and a percentage of those who would relocate to a, a smaller city that is more likely to be a regional center. So when you take all those data points and did that calculation, eventually what I got is we would have 4.2% of the entire sample of the worker survey who would move to either a regional center, a smaller city, or a rural area. So again, 4.2% of the entire sample. So what does that mean? Right? To some extent, it's significance or lack thereof might lie in the eye of the beholder, which means that it's 4.2% large enough uh, to compensate for, if you will, uh, the tide of population loss, if there is a population loss, right? Uh, and, and, and also, as Neil pointed out, this is a forecasting in terms of uh, a future potential scenarios whether they would really uh, pack up and move can be a different story. So um, what I also wanted to share is that, you know, given our finding that the Gen Zs are most likely to telecommute infrequently post the pandemic, here is what I am contemplating regarding a future potential scenario, which is young folks may have to leave their communities for a while, to start up their careers, to build their prof professional networks, to have some experiences under their belt. But they will return, to return to the rural communities where they had their childhood, to raise their own families while also continuing their career by full or close to full-time telecommuting. And I would argue that uh, this potential scenario echoes with uh, the brain gain and the welcoming home research um, that Neil and our colleagues like Ben Winchester and Ryan Allen have been doing in the past few years. And Neil would be a better uh, spokesperson for those two um, uh, research projects. So I will let Neil take over. Sure. I, and I, I think maybe the only other point to add there is that um, um, there might be preferences for telecommuting, but those are always in a mix of your relocation decisions. It's it, it might be that um, that's the thing that 
tips you tips the balance is that you can do that and now it works and now you can move wherever your preferences take you um or it might not it might be that you could could telecommute but you can't find the right community for your, yourself that's entirely possible i think getting back to that article you talked about um just i'm reminded of things that came up in our focus groups and and we did ask a little bit about um, trust um how how much does your employer trust you and those things and it it's important to like not lose sight that um sometimes there's this implication that telecommuting is you know better or worse than in person or different and we can easily forget that like working in an office has its own problems and and some of the problems are the same as telecommuting like do you do you know how productive your employees are? Even if you're in the office, you can hang out with them. Maybe I mean, maybe you can you see them every once in a while. But um, the nature of understanding work and productivity and and people's engagement is challenging in an office as much as it can be um, telecommuting. I think uh, so. I, I just I think that. It's important not to lose sight of that. Not and in that article that you shared, sometimes we're just taking one side and saying like, "There's no problems with telecommuting <laughs> or working from home," or they're like, "No, we're no problems working in an office," and you know, you're just like, "It was all perfect," <laughs> and we all know that that's not true. Um, but I think you know, maybe moving more broadly than some of our findings. Um, the thing we weren't able to assess, and I hope somebody does, was how much our communities have changed because of this. Because there, it's you know in our in our lives, many people learned how to whether you zoomed or FaceTimed or uh, whatever you we learned how to connect <clears throat> throughout the pandemic with people that we care about or with our neighbors in new ways. And uh, that's that's a la that's not a policy change, but that's a lasting change, and that's a um, a collective learning that we don't really have a way to say this, this is what it will mean for us in the future. Um, maybe somebody does. I, I can't wait. Like I said, I can't wait to read their paper. Um, but but when we're trying to think about well what how will this translate will this translate to Zoom towns will this translate to you know this whole neighborhood everybody telecommutes well maybe um, sometimes I don't know <laughs> I, uh, I know my take Kelly I just rambled for a little while I apologize you know like that <laughs> no I realized it was going nowhere no I what's interesting is so my take on it is that this idea that telecommuting is somehow going to it's usually framed as an idea of saving our rural areas right so and that comes with its own host of assumptions and issues but it's still connected to the idea that it's about jobs um that oh now people can work from anywhere so now they'll now they can live in rural areas what we've been saying for years is that no there's plenty of jobs here but we don't have housing. You still have issues with childcare. You still have issues with broadband. Like there's all these other kind of underlying things that that, that it's not just about jobs. This is like a whole infrastructure thing uh, that that needs to get taken on. And on top of that, I, 
it would be really interesting to you know to redo the survey in five years after a lot of this people recruitment initiatives continue to do their thing and we're educating more and more people that may have never lived in a rural area live in a metro area and now have more of a knowledge of like oh yeah Ottertail County I've been hearing a lot about that I, they have great broadband I didn't I never would have thought that right like it's like preferences are also also limited by what we don't know <laughs> and so it's 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 way more complicated and nuanced and you guys are laying out a pretty big I think uh data set and results and report that's really going to outline like look there's no clear-cut easy answer here um, but it's interesting, kind of like a moment in time picture of like, this is kind of what's going on. Yeah. Is that pretty accurate? And I would hope that in five years, if we did this again, we would, we would get people to say, tell us how your policies all changed. Like if we want to know what's happening with this, right there, we just have to recognize that during the pandemic, there was a lot of duct taping going on and you were trying to just keep your your, your business going or, and your employees, you know, uh, healthy and, 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 and workers were just trying to keep their families, you know, alive and, you know, connected to each other. Um, and that meant a lot of experimenting. We heard people telling us about experiments that they were, they were taking place, but I mean, what does it look like in the future? If this is a real thing that's in more businesses, it will mean that they have policies. And it means that there, there's stability and clarity about how this works when someone is working from home. Luckily, there, I mean, there are companies that were have had that for 10 years in Minnesota, all, all around, and in industries maybe you wouldn't expect. Um, so we know that those things are, you know, they'll, they'll be there, they'll, it'll be possible for some. Um, but that's that's the thing that I would remind us to look for in five years is, what policies changed? What are they like today versus what were they like five years ago? And Shingy, what, what would you like to add? Uh, two points. One is to echo uh, Neil's argument that uh, we very much wish and hope uh, that the same questions can be asked even three years um, or five years down the road um, to see. It will be extremely interesting to observe um, any policy change and uh, what kind of changes. And also, um, I would be super curious to ask employers, so how many uh, remote talent uh, have you recruited who work um, full or close to full-time uh, telecommuting, right? And the other question that I'm uh, super curious about would be, how many folks really upended and relocated uh, to where and uh, why, for what reasons? And which brings me to the second uh, major theme that uh, Neil already articulated about, which is living a life, having a family. It is, it, it is a, a, a whole package of infrastructure. Uh, even when I spoke with uh, Julie Tesh, uh, the center's uh, director, uh, she made it very clear that housing has been a challenge in, in rural Minnesota. It is not just an issue in the Twin Cities metro area. Uh, and uh, the lack of child care is no longer news. And I know that we have been making uh, progress with uh, broadband 
uh, connection, but what about uh, transportation and uh, healthcare, right? So these are all uh, large, significant societal structural issues that folks have to take into consideration when they decide on where they are going to live, which of course is a major life decision. Um, and so I would argue anything as complicated as that got to be very nuanced. Uh, it is not possible to reach uh, a real like answer or conclusion just in a tagline. Before 2020, people could have telecommuted. I mean, that's, you know, like we, but we, and, and we still had challenges and, um, you know, people still can, can do that now. They'll be able to do that in the future. Um, I, I'm just kind of thinking about some of the anecdotal things that happened in my community. Like, we, I learned about many more people that had second homes in my community that had they had the ability to to change location, um, but they didn't. Where a year later, are they still here? I mean, in in my little anecdotal circle, no. Now they'll be back to coming on the weekends. Um, so, hey, again, during the pandemic. We're duct taping. We're just trying to to keep things together with whatever means we can. Uh, maybe we saw a little bit of that. My final question then is: Everybody loves kind of learning from each other. You guys have done some research now, looking at policies that have changed. Do you see any sort of kind of best practices toolbox for organizations to learn from each other or like uh, get a better understanding of what are some of the good policies that have been implemented uh, within an organization to support telecommuting? I'm sure, I'm sure everyone that's a manager that might listen to this podcast was thinking of about this right now, like, okay, if we had to telecommute again, or if, um, if I'm hiring people that will be working remotely, um, how do we do that best? How do we make it so that it really works out well? And I'm, I'm sure that that will be something that is continuously studied for the next 20 years until we all figure it out. But, um, you know, I, I think it, I think that on, in my toolkit would be to say, Hey, Think about in your community, think about it in your businesses, how can you support managers that need to support employees and make sure you have great managers that understand the needs of people that are telecommuting and understand um, and are, are, are sensitive and smart to those needs. It's, it's, it can't just be, we have to make sure that the people telecommuting can do it, you know, and it probably works pretty good for them but um, it's about helping those managers. And uh, um, I will just add uh, a couple of things here. Uh, one is uh, support. What does the word support uh, include, right? So I think what we have heard really included, one is a technical support, um, giving them the equipment, uh, even paying partially for internet connection if necessary and needed. So that's the technical side of things. Um, and then the other side of support really is social. 
um, because you no longer work uh, in person with each other, seeing each other every day. And how do we maintain uh, the social interaction and engagement going forward? Uh, it's not just number driven black and white uh, employee performance expectation. Um, we also need to maintain uh, the social and a personal side of things. So that, that is something that's critically important. And, and then you mentioned um, managers, right? So it is a management uh, supervisory and a leadership skills. And uh, what we have heard include do not micromanage, don't be uh, rigid. Uh, and also communicate and, uh, and even run, run the risk of over-communicating, uh, especially because you don't see each other every day anymore. Then this type of very thorough uh, communications uh, would become critically important. Uh, and we have also heard a few organizations that allow employees to take time off together on the same day. So that is, so that, you know, uh, knowing that all my coworkers are having today off as well, will let you know all of us to have the peace and ease of mind that yes, I really do not need to check my work email today. That will be fine. So I think that is a, a quite a innovative, although low tech innovative, I would argue the kind of measure to put in place. Um, and uh, lastly. What I also heard some foreseeing the future uh, during the focus group said, well, what about equity issue? In a sense that folks who work in the office on most of the days or even all, all of those days, whether voluntarily or even worse, you know, being asked to uh, do mostly in-person work, what about their resentment towards those who work, uh, who telecommute? most or of the time. So it, it, employee sentiment, it is still important. By now we all have learned from behavioral economics that the rational individual doesn't quite exist. We all have the emotional side of us, which made us human. So um, these are the things that we'll put out there for our leaders and the managers of all types of employers to ponder together. So when do we expect to have the report published and available for everybody to read? Uh, that would be uh, early April of uh, if we have the editing process uh, going well. I understand that well. Well, Neil, Shini, thanks a lot. Really appreciate talking to you. Looking forward to reading the report. Uh, to our listeners, we'll have a link to the report once it's published. Uh, so come to ruralmn.org and click on our podcast and get to this episode. We'll make sure it's there for everybody to, to read it and go back to your University of Minnesota Extension site. So thanks a lot, you guys. Really appreciate it. Have a good week. Thank you so much, Kelly. Thank you for having us. You've been listening to the Center of Everywhere podcast, where we explore stories of rural Minnesotans who are making a difference in their communities. Rural isn't in the middle of nowhere. It is in the center of everywhere.